Last weekend, I was at a friend's wedding. And as befits the occasion, couples were telling their stories of how they met. One woman I spoke with had quite the story. It went something like this. She, Anne, was a young sociology professor, excited about her field, proud to be on tenure track at the university. Anne came into the university about the same time as a few other young professors, including Laura, in accounting and finance. Anne held an immediate distaste for Laura. Every time Laura opened her mouth at a faculty meeting, Anne and her colleagues held their breath. They knew that what was about to come out of her mouth was going to be what they were going to gripe about all day tomorrow in the office. Laura had no vision, no sense of progressive ideals that might move the faculty forward. But she seemed respected by her peers, and so it was that Anne and Laura found themselves serving on a working group together. Anne, upon learning who was in her group, almost asked her department chair to reassign her. But she didn't, and she went to the meetings. And over the course of the next semester, Anne was surprised by how much she and Laura had in common. And the two young women began to share snippets of their personal lives. Anne, in her search for true love, and Laura trying to start a career, raised two children, and worried about a husband whose job was less than stable. One morning, Anne opened her email to find a note from Laura. My apologies if I'm intruding, it began. Anne took a deep breath. But I have a cousin who is like a brother to me. I love him very much. I saw him at a family event over the weekend, and he spoke of being in a place where he wants to settle down with the right person. I thought of you, and I wonder if I might give him your number. Speechless, Anne was overcome. Laura's gesture overwhelmed her with grace and love. Once Anne was able to get over her own shame at the way she had once looked at Laura, she hit reply and wrote, I'd be honored. And the rest, as they say, is history. So let us look at our own history, this shared story in Luke. The main characters, Jesus and a Roman centurion, have an interesting exchange. The centurion never speaks for himself. Did you notice? He sends Jewish leaders to ask Jesus to come and heal his servant. Then he sends friends to speak his faithful message, speak the word and he will be healed. Jesus never meets the centurion, but Christ is amazed at his faith. As distasteful as it might seem to be celebrating a person who owns slaves, let us not forget that it was the centurion reaching out to Jesus on behalf of someone who had no voice at all in society. In numerous ways, this Roman oppressor exhibits faithful, faithful living as a compassionate leader of his household and his community. He expresses affection and care to people who, by right and law, he owes nothing. For this, he is known by Jewish leaders and his friend as someone worthy and loving. The Jewish leaders approach Jesus to aid the centurion. They know it is an odd request. Please come help out a powerful Roman centurion. Yes, mm mm-hmm, that Rome. Yes, the one that rules by fear. 
Yes, a soldier. Yes, a wealthy soldier. In their pleading with Jesus, we learn about the centurion's actual character. Jesus has already given his love your enemies speech in the previous couple of passages, and it seems as if he's being put to the test by his own words. Why help him? The Jewish leaders respond, for he loves, as was evidenced when the Jewish leaders approached him on the centurion's behalf. Why would they do such a thing? Love is not a verb that one typically associates with one's enemies. But they have already witnessed God in the centurion's actions. For the centurion loves the Jewish people enough to help them build a synagogue. For he loves when he took compassion for a dying servant. For he loves and his compassion for his servant trumps his desire to maintain his social position in regards to a peasant rabbi. The centurion demonstrates in numerous ways through his actions and those taken on his behalf where his loyalties and trusts lie. And the centurion recognizes that among the many earthly powers he may be able to access, imperial power is not enough to heal his servant. In the midst of his sorrow, he reaches out to someone who he believes has the power and authority to do what no other person can. Via his friends, the centurion calls Jesus Lord, a title with social and spiritual ramifications. Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. And with one word, the centurion reverses the power dynamic between them. The ranking soldier defers to the carpenter's son. Jesus correctly and, honor- and honorably acknowledges this convention-breaking tribute. I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. For Jesus is amazed. One of the only times we hear of this in regard to Jesus. Jesus is amazed by this Roman's faith. And we know that Jesus' power turns the world upside down and inside out. But that a centurion would recognize his power is the very essence of faith. Faith in seeing the world with God's eyes. To see the possibilities of a world renewed by God's love and God's grace. This has happened before, this turning the world upside down. Even loving one's enemies and love coming from an enemy seem to happen frequently around Jesus. For God will not be restrained or contained by boundaries we draw around one another. God will surprise us. God may even enrage us when grace extends to those we deem unworthy. This has happened before. It will happen again. So maybe we should not be so surprised by the unlikely places that faith shows up in our world. There's a fabulous book called Tattoos on the Heart by Father Gregory Boyle. If you haven't read it, please do. For Father G, as he is known, is a Roman Catholic priest who works in the midst of gang-filled neighborhoods in L.A. Father G helped establish Homeboy Industries, a nonprofit that helps gangbangers find work learn trades, remove tattoos, and along the way, discover their inherent dignity and self-worth. One story stands out to me regarding a new recruit, a young man who goes by the name Clever. And he seems eager to leave his old ways behind and begin his new job at Homeboy Silkscreen. And he moves with ease with Father G through the facility, shaking his hands with the new co-workers who were probably his enemies just days before. 
All is going well until they round a corner and Clever stops, eyes narrow, as he recognizes a true enemy from his neighborhood. Obviously, the two share a negative history. Father G says, look, if you can't hang working together, please let me know now. I've got a ton of others who would love to have this job. They say nothing. So that's that. Some six months later, Travieso, the other person, was jumped in an alley. And two days later, he died in a hospital bed. Father G received a late night phone call. It's clever. Hey, he begins awkwardly, that's messed up about what happened to to Travieso. Yeah, it is, said Father G. Is there anything I can do? Clever asks with oddly high energy. Can I give him my blood? This last offer sucks the breathable air out of the atmosphere for both of them. Father G writes that we can each feel the other tremble in silence. Clever takes the lead and punctures the quiet with great resolve and unprotected tears. He was not my enemy. He was my friend. We worked together. We worked together. Words of love. In the midst of sorrow, the recognition of a bridge built between two former gang members. The new Catholic Pope, Pope Francis, continues to make headlines because he's rocking the boat. This week's supposed outrage came from a discussion about salvation and works. The Pope described the center of faith as doing good. He was not suggesting that good works are what leads to God's love or a get-into-heaven-free card. Rather, he suggested that good works are a neutral meeting place for all God's people, regardless of creed, religion, belief system, or any other stumbling block. The centurion's faith-filled remarks are a taste of what it is, of what is to come in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke, Jesus' love extends to all people beyond the boundaries of one faith tradition or one regional area, beyond the margins of his community, and includes the people who, by definition, are considered enemy. You know, the label enemy often comes for a reason. And so it adds to the amazement. When we meet faithful centurions, when faithful, generous actions and words come from people we'd least expect, when we find ourselves in just such a place where good works and love abounds, may we, like Jesus, recognize God's fingerprints. And may we realize with amazement and give thanks, singing our praises to God. For whether we are called to serve as students, teachers, deacons, elders, or none of the above for right now, we are all invited to view the world as Jesus might, with an open invitation to respond to God's God's love in the world. And perhaps we, too, might be like the centurion and surprise a few folks. May we meet people where they are, do good works together, and delight in the way God shines through. Amen.
Last weekend, I was at a friend's wedding. And as befits the occasion, couples were telling their stories of how they met. One woman I spoke with had quite the story. It went something like this. She, Anne, was a young sociology professor, excited about her field, proud to be on tenure track at the university. Anne came into the university about the same time as a few other young professors, including Laura, in accounting and finance. Anne held an immediate distaste for Laura. Every time Laura opened her mouth at a faculty meeting, Anne and her colleagues held their breath. They knew that what was about to come out of her mouth was going to be what they were going to gripe about all day tomorrow in the office. Laura had no vision, no sense of progressive ideals that might move the faculty forward. But she seemed respected by her peers, and so it was that Anne and Laura found themselves serving on a working group together. Anne, upon learning who was in her group, almost asked her department chair to reassign her. But she didn't, and she went to the meetings. And over the course of the next semester, Anne was surprised by how much she and Laura had in common. And the two young women began to share snippets of their personal lives. Anne and her search for true love, and Laura trying to start a career, raise two children, and worried about a husband whose job was less than stable. One morning, Anne opened her email to find a note from Laura. My apologies if I'm intruding, it began. Anne took a deep breath. But I have a cousin who is like a brother to me. I love him very much. I saw him at a family event over the weekend, and he spoke of being in a place where he wants to settle down with the right person. I thought of you, and I wonder if I might give him your number. Speechless, Anne was overcome. Laura's gesture overwhelmed her with grace and love. Once Anne was able to get over her own shame at the way she had once looked at Laura, she hit reply and wrote, I'd be honored. And the rest, as they say, is history. So let us look at our own history, this shared story in Luke. The main characters, Jesus and a Roman centurion, have an interesting exchange. The centurion never speaks for himself. Did you notice? He sends Jewish leaders to ask Jesus to come and heal his servant. Then he sends friends to speak his faithful message, speak the word and he will be healed. Jesus never meets the centurion, but Christ is amazed at his faith. As distasteful as it might seem to be celebrating a person who owns slaves, let us not forget that it was the centurion reaching out to Jesus on behalf of someone who had no voice at all in society. In numerous ways, this Roman oppressor exhibits faithful, faithful living as a compassionate leader of his household and his community. He expresses affection and care to people who, by right and law, he owes nothing. For this, he is known by Jewish leaders and his friend as someone worthy and loving. The Jewish leaders approach Jesus to aid the centurion. They know it is an odd request. Please come help out a powerful Roman centurion. Yes, mm-hmm, that Rome. Yes, the one that rules by fear. 
Yes, a soldier. Yes, a wealthy soldier. In their pleading with Jesus, we learn about the centurion's actual character. Jesus has already given his love your enemies speech in the previous couple of passages, and it seems as if he's being put to the test by his own words. Why help him? The Jewish leaders respond, for he loves, as was evidenced when the Jewish leaders approached him on the centurion's behalf. Why would they do such a thing? Love is not a verb that one typically associates with one's enemies. But they have already witnessed God in the centurion's actions. For the centurion loves the Jewish people enough to help them build a synagogue. For he loves when he took compassion for a dying servant. For he loves and his compassion for his servant trumps his desire to maintain his social position in regards to a peasant rabbi. The centurion demonstrates in numerous ways through his actions and those taken on his behalf where his loyalties and trusts lie. And the centurion recognizes that among the many earthly powers he may be able to access, imperial power is not enough to heal his servant. In the midst of his sorrow, he reaches out to someone who he believes has the power and authority to do what no other person can. Via his friends, the centurion calls Jesus Lord, a title with social and spiritual ramifications. Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. And with one word, the centurion reverses the power dynamic between them. The ranking soldier defers to the carpenter's son. Jesus correctly and and honorably acknowledges this convention-breaking tribute. I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. For Jesus is amazed. One of the only times we hear of this in regard to Jesus. Jesus is amazed by this Roman's faith. And we know that Jesus' power turns the world upside down and inside out. But that a centurion would recognize his power is the very essence of faith. Faith in seeing the world with God's eyes. To see the possibilities of a world renewed by God's love and God's grace. This has happened before. This turning the world upside down. Even loving one's enemies and love coming from an enemy seem to happen frequently around Jesus. For God will not be restrained or contained by boundaries we draw around one another. God will surprise us. God may even enrage us when grace extends to those we deem unworthy. This has happened before. It will happen again. So maybe we should not be so surprised by the unlikely places that faith shows up in our world. There's a fabulous book called Tattoos on the Heart, by Father Gregory Boyle. If you haven't read it, please do. For Father G, as he is known, is a Roman Catholic priest who works in the midst of gang-filled neighborhoods in L.A. Father G helped establish Homeboy Industries, a nonprofit that helps gangbangers find work, learn trades, remove tattoos, and along the way, discover their inherent dignity and self-worth. One story stands out to me regarding a new recruit, a young man who goes by the name Clever. And he seems eager to leave his old ways behind and begin his new job at Homeboy Silkscreen. And he moves with ease with Father G through the facility, shaking his hands with the new co-workers who were probably his enemies just days before. 
All is going well until they round a corner and clever stops, eyes narrow, as he recognizes a true enemy from his neighborhood. Obviously, the two share a negative history. Father G says, look, if you can't hang working together, please let me know now. I've got a ton of others who would love to have this job. They say nothing. So that's that. Some six months later, Travieso, the other person, was jumped in an alley. And two days later, he died in a hospital bed. Father G received a late-night phone call. It's clever. Hey, he begins awkwardly, that's messed up about what happened to, to Travieso. Yeah, it is, said Father G. Is there anything I can do, Clever asks, with oddly high energy. Can I give him my blood? This last offer sucks the breathable air out of the atmosphere for both of them. Father G writes that we can each feel the other tremble in silence. Clever takes the lead and punctures the quiet with great resolve and unprotected tears. He was not my enemy. He was my friend. We worked together. We worked together. Words of love. In the midst of sorrow, the recognition of a bridge built between two former gang members. The new Catholic Pope, Pope Francis, continues to make headlines because he's rocking the boat. This week's supposed outrage came from a discussion about salvation and works. The Pope described the sinner of faith as doing good. He was not suggesting that good works are what leads to God's love or get into heaven free card. Rather, he suggested that good works are a neutral meeting place for all God's people, regardless of creed, religion, belief system, or any other stumbling block. The centurion's faith-filled remarks are a taste of what it is, of what is to come in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke, Jesus' love extends to all people, beyond the boundaries of one faith tradition or one regional area, beyond the margins of his community, and includes the people who, by definition, are considered enemy. You know, the label enemy often comes for a reason. And so it adds to the amazement. When we meet faithful centurions, when faithful, generous actions and words come from people we'd least expect, when we find ourselves in just such a place, where good works and love abounds, may we, like Jesus, recognize God's fingerprints. And may we realize with amazement and give thanks, singing our praises to God. For whether we are called to serve as students, teachers, deacons, elders, or none of the above for right now, we are all invited to view the world as Jesus might, with an open invitation to respond to God's God's love in the world. And perhaps we, too, might be like the centurion and surprise a few folks. May we meet people where they are, do good works together, and delight in the way God shines through. Amen.